We do appreciate everyone's presence this morning. We're glad you're here. We appreciate those who have led us in our worship today, uh, the good work that they've done, the preparation that they've put into it, and uh, the good way with which they, they've carried it out. There are a lot of things that go into making our services run smoothly. We've got people that work kind of behind the scenes, as we say sometimes, and we appreciate their good work. <clears throat> it should be clear to us by now, and as we read the New Testament and look at the, the amount of space that's devoted to it, the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is of critical importance. Now, we just spent a week, a couple of weeks ago, Brother Steve Ramsey was here, and he presented several lessons about the resurrection of Jesus. Had some more than one say, well, I wasn't quite sure how he's going to get six or seven lessons out of that idea, but by the end of the week, we, we saw, well, it's... Uh, it's a rich subject, it's a deep subject, covers a wide range of, of ideas, and uh, we could have spent even more time talking about the resurrection of Christ. As we've said, it's of critical importance in, in the gospel. All the gospel writers discuss the resurrection of Jesus at some length. Paul gives a good deal of attention to it in his epistles, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But the resurrection is mentioned regularly in the book of Acts and throughout the epistles. If uh, a, a large uh, amount of space isn't directly devoted to it, it's mentioned and it's, it's of uh, critical importance. It's the critical event in the history of God's work of salvation. You might say, well, how can you say that? I thought the cross was the critical event. Well, of course, in some ways, the cross is the critical event in God's history of providing salvation, but it's the resurrection that convinces us and that proves to us that the cross is, is so critical. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, Paul says, our faith is vain. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, Christ's death is in vain. It's the resurrection of the dead that supports the cross as the means by which God makes atonement for our sin. As we saw in the meeting with Brother Ramsey, the study of the resurrection of Jesus covers several topics. There's the account of the resurrection itself. There's the testimony of the eyewitnesses that we can uh, give some attention to. Uh, answers to alternative explanations for the empty tomb. We spent a session on that as well. There's the hope of eternal life that's given to us through the resurrection. There's uh, the promise of our resurrection as well that's communicated through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then it proves to us, it establishes for us the true identity of Jesus. He's declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection. Well, I want to add just one idea to that. Not that I'm trying to improve what Brother Ramsey did. Don't know that I could do that. But I want to focus our attention on one more thing that is connected with the resurrection of Jesus. It has important implications for the way we live our lives. In Romans chapter 6, which is not where we're going to spend the book of our time this morning, but in Romans chapter 6, Paul says in the first few verses of that chapter that we've been united with Christ in the likeness of His death, that we were baptized into Christ, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. He tells us in verse 8 of that chapter that we have died with Christ. 
that we've been crucified with Christ, that we've been buried with Christ. And so just think about that. United with Christ, died with Christ, crucified with Christ, and buried with Christ. And then he goes on to say that we have also been raised with Christ. Died with Christ in our, our uh, repentance from sin. Our, we've been buried with Christ in baptism. And now we've been raised with Christ. And because we've been raised with Christ, we live a different kind of life that has very powerful, profound implications for the way we live. And so we're going to talk about this idea this morning, being raised with Christ. Now go to Colossians chapter 3. And so, let's keep that idea in your mind. Died with Christ to sin, buried with Christ, and so we've been united with Him, and now raised with Christ. Colossians 3 and verse 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, and the idea there really is not, it's in doubt whether or not you've been raised with Christ, but simply another way of expressing cause. Because you've been raised with Christ. Now, we've seen that if we've died to sin, if we've been buried with Him in baptism, that we've been raised with Him. And, and since that is true, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so I want to talk about that idea of being raised with Christ. And if we've been raised with Christ, how that influences and impacts the way we live our daily lives. We're just going to draw out about three ideas here from Colossians chapter 3. The first idea is this. If you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. And we'll just take those two ideas together. Set your mind on the things that are above. Keep seeking the things that are above. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that we've been raised to walk in newness of life. We live a new kind of life now since we've been raised with Christ. Just think about a person's life before he's a Christian. Here's a person and he takes his relationship with God seriously uh, and uh, very spiritually minded. He wants to be right with God, but he knows that he's not. He knows that he has sinned. And he knows that God is a God of wrath against sin and a God of judgment. And so every day he lives with that, with that thought. He lives with the guilt of his sin. He lives with the idea of condemnation and judgment. And the only thing that he can do is just try to balance the scale in some way. I know I haven't been what God wants me to be, but there's not anything I can do to erase the past. All I can do is try to make up for that. But he knows he really can't. No matter what he does today, it's not going to erase what he did yesterday. And so there's really no way to, to uh, solve the problem of sin. And so he walks around every day with that weighing on his conscience. He walks away every day with the burden of guilt. He walks around every day with the prospect of condemnation. And then he learns about Christ. And he learns that the death of Christ will atone for your sin. That Christ died for you and in your place. That he bore your sins on the cross. And by his blood, your sin can be forgiven. And so he takes advantage of that. Puts his faith in Christ. 
He's baptized for the remission of sins, and now he lives a brand new kind of life. He's free from that guilt. He's free from that condemnation. He doesn't walk away, walk around every day with that burden and that weight on him. He's been set free. He lives a new kind of life. Now Paul talks about that a little bit in Romans chapter 5. He says that we have peace with God through faith in Christ. Imagine, I'm overcome with this sense of condemnation. I know that I'm at odds with God, but in Christ, we're at peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 2, "...through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace." And so this idea before, before Christ, condemnation, guilt, now grace. I have access to grace through Christ. And he goes on in verse 3, "...not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance." Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Now I've got hope. Before Christ, just, just overwhelming sense of condemnation and judgment. But now I live in hope. I have access to grace. I have peace with God. I've got a new lease on life. Life is so much different now. It's brand new to me. And so we've been raised to walk in newness of life. A brand new kind of life. Now, this new life is guided by certain principles. One of those is that we are to seek the things that are above, that we are to set our mind on things that are above. And so if you're here and you've been raised with Christ, this ought to guide your life every day. Now, it's not a difficult idea. We set our minds on something. We focus our attention on it. It becomes the object of our, of our attention. For example... We may become interested in the subject, and so we learn everything we can about it. We read about it. We talk about it. We listen to others talk about it. We listen to experts expound on it. We watch television programs all about it. Let me illustrate the point. I haven't read the books, but some people love Harry Potter. They've read all the books. And uh, I've known of some, now these are not small books. They're five, six, seven hundred pages long. And I know, I've known of some who get the book the day that it comes out, and they read it in one sitting. They don't stop reading until they've read the whole book. They've set their mind on Harry Potter. They love it. They read all the books. They read the books multiple times. They talk about Harry Potter with their friends. They listen to other people talk about Harry Potter. The one uh, college student, she wrote a master's thesis on Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, she watches, uh, they watch the movies. If a new Harry Potter book were to come out, I don't know that it is, but if a new Harry Potter book would come out, on the date that it came out, people would be sitting at their computer ready to click at the moment it was released. Send. I want the book as soon as I can get it. And if you go to the bookstore to get one, you're going to stand in line maybe overnight. And so that's the idea. I'm, I'm, I've set my mind on that. I love it. And it's not a chore. It's not a chore for me to read the book. It's not a chore for me to read it over and over. It's not a chore for me to hear people talk about it. It's not a chore for me to introduce others to the book. I love it. My mind is set on it. I want to know more and more and more about it. If it's not Harry Potter with you, what is it? There's something in your life that you've set your mind on. And it may be gaming or gardening or music or some leisure activity. It might be technology. 
We knew a man one time, he, his mind was set on the Titanic. He loved the Titanic. And he read books about it. He watched movies about it. He even had a model of the Titanic. And so that's the idea. When we set our mind on something, it's the focus of our attention. And we enjoy reading it, discussing it, learning about it. Our understanding of it grows and develops over time. And if we set our mind on things that are above, that's the way we will be. With understanding God, with understanding God's will, we want to learn about it, we're devoted to it, we want to grow. If we set our mind on something, we want to achieve a goal. And so we, I'm, I'll tell you a little story that illustrates the point. If we set our mind on something, I'm going to achieve this goal. We set out to achieve it and we devise a plan to do so. Our children were in a band in high school and went to one performance and we're I'm standing around before the, the performance and uh, there was a lady there, I didn't know her, but we got to talking. And I said, what kind, of, what kind of work do you do? And she said, well, I'm a pharmacist. Oh, cool, well, that's nice, nice, that's, that's good. And so we got to talking about her experience and how she became a pharmacist. And she said, you know, uh, I grew up in Kentucky, in, in rural Kentucky. My grandparents raised me. We, we lived on a farm. I lived on their farm. And we, we didn't have much. In fact, she said, we, we, we really were, were poor. And I went to high school, and I got through school, and I graduated, and then I went to work. I think she maybe worked in a grocery store as a checkout person. And she said, I did that for a couple of years, and I started thinking, you know, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with this, but I think there's something more out there for me. And so she said, I wasn't a great student, but I enrolled in the local community college. And I, and I, I took my classes, and I, I worked, and I made pretty good grades. And so I took the next step, and I, I enrolled in a four-year school. And by that time, I decided, I want, I want to see if I can become a pharmacist. She said, I wasn't, I wasn't a great student. I wasn't the highest intellect in the class. I, I had to work. At, at my classes. But, but I did. I had, I had a goal. This is what I want to achieve. And so I set forth to work and achieve it. I would have classmates and friends in college and, and they'd go out and do things or they might ask me to go along and do this. I'd say, well, no, I can't do that this time. I've got to, I've got to study. And she said, again, I wasn't the smartest person in the class, but, but I worked and I put in the time and I graduated and I did well. And she said, I applied to pharmacy school, and I got in. And same thing repeated itself. I wasn't the brightest person in the class. A lot of students more gifted, higher intellect than me. I had to work. I had to work hard at it. But, but I did okay, and I became a pharmacist. And she said, you know, when I, when, when I people tell me, you know, I wish I could be a pharmacist, she'd say, well, you know, you, you could if you were willing to do what I, what I did. And so you see, she set her mind on something, and she sought it. I'm going to set my mind on this, and I'm going to seek that. I'm going to do whatever I need to do in order to achieve it. Now, if you've been raised with Christ, you set your mind on things that are above, and you do whatever you have to do in order to achieve it. Make whatever sacrifice is necessary. You know, there are people, if they, they want to be a physician or they want to be a musician or they want to be an attorney or whatever it is they want to be, 
They'll go without food, they'll go without sleep, they'll live in a dump for however long it takes to get that training. They'll do whatever, it needs, whatever is necessary in order to achieve it. Now we have our minds set on things that are above. We're seeking things that are above. And if you've been raised with Christ, that ought to guide your life. And I will do whatever I need to do in order to achieve that. Let's just look at a couple of passages. I've, I've talked a little while without citing a passage. Sometimes I hear people speak, maybe a politician, and, and I think, how do you talk that long without citing a scripture? But, but they do. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, good repute if there's any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, you think on these things. You set your mind on these things. You seek these things. Look at another passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our body. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Death works in us, but life in you. Having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. All things are for your sakes. So that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying. Now he's been through a long list of what he suffered in the outer man, in the flesh. The inner man is being renewed day by day. The momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Because we are not looking at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, and the things that are not seen are eternal. I've set my mind on things that are above where Christ is. I'm not looking at things on the earth. And I will do whatever I have to do. I'll make whatever sacrifices necessary. I'll go through whatever toil I'm called on to go through to make it there. I've set my mind on those things. And I'm seeking with all my might, with all my strength, I'm seeking those things. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 says, Give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. Do not be distracted by the world. Remember the, the young lady that wanted to be a pharmacist? And her friends would say, hey, let's go out this weekend and let's do this. Or, or hey, I'm, I'm going home you, to visit my family. Would you like to come with me? And she would say, no, I, I can't do that this weekend. I've got a study. I've got a test coming up next week. I've got to get ready for it. She would not be distracted by other things. And that's the way we got to be in our spiritual life. We cannot be distracted by things of the earth, by things of this world. We've got to set our mind on things that are above and seek them. Here's a second principle that guides our lives if we've been raised with Christ. He says here, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And so that we're going to pick, pick up in verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, and, and so forth. We'll stop our reading right there, but the passage continues. 
Remember we said in the very beginning, Romans chapter 6, that we died with Christ? And so as Christ died with regard to sin, so if we have been united with Him, we die with regard to sin. Or as Paul expresses the idea in this place, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, and then he gives some specific sins, but he could just say, as dead to sin. Now the Bible defines sin for us in, in general terms. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3 verse 4, sin is lawlessness. Whatever doesn't conform to the law of God is sin. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 21, Paul says, Now, I'm under law to Christ. And so, and so we are under God's law. We are under law to Christ. God does have a law for us. In fact, I, I really think that God cannot enter into a relationship with any, anything, but, but with us, without law. And so if God is holy and He's going to enter into fellowship with us, we must be holy as well. That means we have to conform to the law of holiness, right? Now, now we don't do that and we have, have access to God's grace and be forgiven. But if we're going to be in fellowship with God, we, we've got to, to live according to God's standard. And so we are under law. And whatever is contrary to the law is sin. And so if the law says, do this, and we don't do it, we've sinned. And if the law says, don't do this, and we do it, we've sinned. And all that's sin. In 1 John 5, verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. Well, righteousness is to, to be righteous, to do righteous and practice righteousness, is to conform to God's standard of right and wrong. See, God sets the standard of right and wrong, and righteous conduct conforms to that standard. Of course, that standard is rooted in God's own character. And so, whatever is pure and holy, whatever is just, whatever is true, all of those things, those are consistent with God's character, and we must do those things in order to be right, in order to practice righteousness. All unrighteousness is sin. And so whatever is impure or unholy or unjust or untrue is, is sin, whatever that might be. In James 4 and verse 17, James says, Whoever knows to do good and doesn't do it, doesn't do it, it to him it's sin. We call these sins of omission. When a person fails to do what he knows is the morally and ethically right thing to do. If he knows what he, when he knows what he ought to do, that, that word ought, very important. What he is obligated, morally obligated to do, ethically obligated to do. And we've been in those situations where we're in a situation and somebody says this and, you know, I really ought to have spoken up, but I didn't. Or I know really the right thing to do is this, but for some reason I didn't do it and I really ought to have done it. Well, we know to do good and we don't do it. To him, it's sin. And so when we fail to speak or act because of fear or laziness or inconvenience or pride or selfishness, that's, that's sin. And so those are general descriptions of sin. Of course, the Bible gives us some specific sins as well. We've got a list of some of those here in Colossians chapter 3, but there are other lists as well. Galatians chapter 5 verses 9 through 21 specify the works of the flesh. 
1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And mentions some specific acts of unrighteousness. In Colossians chapter 3, he mentions immorality or fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, a specific sin. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. If we've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, if the answer to that is yes, I've been raised to Christ, we need to die to sin. We need to die to unrighteousness. We need to die to whatever is contrary to the law. We need to die to this idea, I know I ought to do that, but I shouldn't do it. I'm not going to do it. The Scripture tells us the sources of sin. Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25 mention the flesh, that we die to the flesh, or we have crucified the flesh. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The flesh is a source of our sin. It influences us to sin. We also die to the world. The world is a source of sin. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I've died to the world. It doesn't have anything to offer me that I have any interest in. Not, not ultimate interest at any rate. And so the Bible tells us what sin is in general terms. It mentions some specific sins. It tells us the source of sin. And, and Paul says, if we've been raised to Christ, we, we need to die to those things. We need to not be sensitive to those things. We don't have any interest in those things. We're dead to those things. Those things are dead to me. We're to practice self-control. We're to make no provision for the flesh, Romans 13 and verse 14. And so, if we've been raised, raised with Christ... We set our minds on things that are above, where Christ is. We seek those things. We die to sin. And then the third principle we'll draw out from this passage is this one. We die to sin, we put off the old man, but we put on the new man. If you've been raised with Christ, the man of sin has to be put off. And the new man, the God-like man, the Christ-like man, has to be put on. So verse 10 says, uh, there's a renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, all uh, barbarian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all in all. In the prior verse, he talks about being renewed to true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Renewed after the image of God. And so if we've been raised with Christ, we want to develop this God-like character, this image. And he gives us some specifics in verse 12. So those who have been chosen, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. If you've been raised with Christ, here's what you need to become. Okay, talked about what we need to put off, sin, and here's what we need to develop and grow and become. He says, first of all, put on a heart of compassion. It struck me as I was preparing for this that he doesn't say, do compassionate things. But that's not what he says, is it? 
You see, a person can do compassionate things and not have a heart of compassion, right? A person can do generous things and not really be a generous person. And you know what? A person can do religious things and not have a heart for God. What he says here is you put on a heart. Put on a heart of compassion. And so that's typical of the teaching of Christ, isn't it? He reforms us, the way I say it is, from the inside out, from the heart out. And so the heart produces the right kind of behavior. Put on a heart of compassion. And he goes on to mention some other qualities. Be kind. Not mean, not harsh. Be kind. Be kind in word and be kind in deed. Be gentle. You know, I've known a few men that I thought were true gentle men. You, you may know some people like that. They're, they're not all that common, are they? <laughs> you know? and, and here's a true gentle man. That doesn't mean that you can just push him around and he's wishy-washy, and, but, but he's gentle. He's gentle in the way that he deals with other people. He's gentle in his words. Even though he may speak directly, he's still gentle in his words. We want to strive to become gentle people. He talks about being patient and forbearance. All of these things have to do with the way we treat each other. Be kind, be gentle, be patient, be forbearing, forgiving each other. Now, if you've been raised with Christ, well, then you'll forgive each other. In fact, if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, there Christ says, or Paul says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so if we're with Christ, if we've been raised with Christ, we take all these attributes are found in Christ. Kindness, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. And then he says, put on love, verse 14. The chief characteristic of God's people, because it's God's chief characteristic. God is love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 and then verse 16. Really, love is the basis for all these characteristics. And so we're kind to others because we're loving people. We're gentle with others because we love them. We're patient and forbearing and forgiving. And it all springs from love. No wonder he says, again in verse 14, that it's the perfect bond of unity. It ties it all up together. Love wraps it all up together just just perfectly. And so we've been raised with Christ. We're to put on the characteristics we find in Christ. What we began saying by there's as much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as for any event in ancient history. We made that, that observation, we made that comment in our previous study. As much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus as for any event in ancient history. But it's more than a historical event, isn't it? The implications are profound. The proof that it proves that Jesus is the Son of God. And as people who have died and been raised with Christ, it has an impact on the way we live each day. And so, tomorrow, when you go to work, you think about this. Now, I've been raised with Christ. How should I interact with my co-workers today? When you go to school tomorrow, you say, you know, I've been raised with Christ. Now, what kind of choices should I make as I'm presented with them? And so, if we've been raised with Christ, we're seeking the things that are above, we're putting to death the old man, 
We're putting on the new man, the man of Christ. And so let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to come together today and to worship you. We pray that our efforts today have been pleasing to you, that each one of us, Father, has worshiped sincerely and genuinely from our heart, in spirit and in truth, and that you're pleased with the things that we've done today. We pray, Father, that we'll be edified by them, that we'll be built up, that we'll be inspired and motivated to be more the kind of people that you would have us to be. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to be united with Christ. That just as He died and was buried and was raised, help us, Father, to die to sin, to bury that old man of sin, and to live that new life, that new kind of life, a life of hope, a life that's uh, characterized by grace in which we have peace. But also, Father, help us. Help us to develop the attributes we should develop as those who are united with Christ. Help us to seek the things that are above where Christ is. Help us to put off the old man with its doings and put on the new man that's more and more like Christ each day. Father, help us to think about these things in the days ahead. We come to terms with this fact that we have been raised with Him. And Father, help us see the implications of that and live up to them each day, day by day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've not been united with Christ, now we have the opportunity, you have the invitation.